I'm Peter Madlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. And if this is your first time hearing our show, I've got great news. It's based on a really simple idea that we've all had teachers in our lives who help shape who we are. And we want you to be a part of the show with us. Every educator we have on the podcast, whether a teacher, a coach, a professor, is nominated by you, the folks who listen to the show. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who you think deserve a spotlight. And you can email us with your nominations and story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. And this week, we've got two best friend teachers at Aquin High School, Dana gerard Lehmeyer and Tia Heimerdinger. Aquin is a Catholic school in Freeport, Illinois, and honestly, it's pretty rare that we get to spotlight educators from a faith-based school on this show, so I think this might be only the second time ever here on Teacher's Lounge. So Dana teaches English and speech, and Tia teaches Spanish. They also both lead a lot of student service groups at Aquin, and we talked a lot about those different service projects they've been working on in their community, as well as what makes religious schools unique, including a very unique and admittedly a bit odd tradition they have at Aquin. All of that coming up here on Teacher's Lounge, but before we get into it, I do have a few education stories I want to share. So in the past decade, the number of Illinois high schoolers earning early college credit from advanced placement or dual credit courses has skyrocketed. And I got to examine both, but right now, let's look at what fueled the growth of AP and what that means for students. So to earn college credit from an advanced placement or AP high school class, students have to pass a test at the end of the year. In Illinois, scoring a three or higher on that test qualifies students for at least some college credit at public colleges and universities. If it's a private school or out of state, it's a bit more complicated. But in the last 10 years, Illinois had the largest percent increase in the country in high school graduates scoring that three or higher on the AP test. Last year, over 36,000 Illinois high school grads did it. Dr. Erica Tiemann is the director of the Standards and Instruction Department at the Illinois State Board of Education. And she says AP exams give those students a jumpstart towards their college degree. But even more importantly, she says it can save them a lot of money. The amount of money that is being saved by our Illinois families, I think it's in the 200 million range. It does cost students money to take the exam. Test costs nearly $100 a pop with many students taking multiple exams. But in Illinois, low-income students only have to pay $7 per exam thanks to supplemental state funding. That can be a big deal with the typical cost of college tuition per credit hour anywhere from around $100 to $1,000 in some cases. The state also supplies grants for schools to enhance or add more AP courses and train teachers. Joliet Township High School District has received that grant several times, including last year. Dr. Carla Guzman is the superintendent of the Joliet Township High School District. She says expanding AP access and offerings has been a big priority for them over the past decade, and that work culminated with Joliet Township winning AP District of the Year a few years ago. We were at 138 students with uh, three or higher on an exam. In 2017, we were at 645. Along with expanding the total number of students taking AP courses, Guzman says they're also trying to expand access to low-income students and students of color. The vast majority of AP programs don't mirror the school student demographics. And Joliet Township is closer than many districts. They're a majority Hispanic district, and Hispanic students do make up 60% of students taking one or more AP classes. But black students aren't equally represented yet. And that holds with state trends, too. Out of all Illinois students who scored a three or higher on AP exams last year, only 3.6% were black. 
and that number hasn't changed since 2012. But the number of Hispanic students has increased significantly statewide, from 12% to over 20%. Sunil Kaluri says it speaks to the importance of culturally relevant curriculum. He's an assistant professor at the University of California, Riverside, and Kaluri's researched AP courses and their impacts for years. If you have curriculum that connects to students' lives, students' communities, then I think you can perhaps, in a lot of respects, do a better job attracting more students. He says historically, the College Board, the nonprofit organization who crafts AP curriculum, hasn't been great at connecting with black students. There are current efforts like a new AP African American Studies course, but even that has been criticized when the curriculum was changed after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis threatened to ban it. Kaluri says there are also more existential questions about AP, like is it a good idea to push as many kids as possible into AP classes if many don't pass the test? There's also a question about the test itself. You have to pass that test at the end of the year to earn the college credit. And many colleges and universities have stopped looking at standardized tests like the ACT for admission and scholarships because they argue it's not a good barometer to measure learning. Kaluri says the College Board is actually introducing more project-based assessments and portfolios lately. The College Board also has a new initiative to expand AP's influence in schools even more called pre-AP. These are regular grade-level courses meant to set students up for future AP classes. It kicks off next year, and Dr. Carla Guzman at Joliet Township says they're investing in it. All students will either be in a pre-AP class or an AP class. Pre-AP does raise some initial concerns from Professor Kaluri. Okay, so College Board is going to teach every class. How much curricular control are we trying to seed from our public school professionals? But he says, even though the current system is flawed, when you talk to students taking AP classes, they really like them. It could be that they're good classes and the best teachers teach them, which I think we kind of have a sense of. And he says it's important to cultivate a space where kids are excited about learning and challenging themselves. And for those who pass the test, the opportunity to save a bunch of money on college credit can be too good to pass up. And now let's check out how dual credit blurs the boundaries between high school and higher ed. In the past five years, the number of Illinois high school graduates taking dual credit courses has jumped from around 60,000 to 90,000. Dual credit is where students take college-level courses at their high school, usually through a collaboration with a local community college. There's also dual enrollment, where high school students take college courses at a local college. Some students do both. Lisa Hagley is the dual credit and dual enrollment manager at College of DuPage. They partner with around 40 different local high schools for dual credit. She says it's not new, but dual credit isn't just growing, it's also evolving. It used to be much more geared towards career and technical education like welding or nursing. Recently, it's more so looking into the gen ed courses for dual credit, you know, mostly because that's also, you know, what the high schools were interested in for the students to be able to take those, you know, courses and be able to be done with, you know, like English or math or something. Even though dual credit participation is ballooning, it's still not nearly as popular as the other big early college credit option, advanced placement. Many districts like Joliet Township offer both. Some of its dual credit options are still career and tech oriented, but now they offer a lot of general education dual credit too. Dr. Carla Guzman is the superintendent, and she says students can take dual credit Rhetoric 101 or AP English 4. They're both weighted, they both fulfill the same college graduation requirement. So which one do you take? Really, it is based on what is their goal. If they know and plan to go to a school that's out of state, it might make more sense to take the AP class. 
She says it's more hit or miss if out-of-state schools will accept dual credit. Dual credit can also somewhat sidestep an issue some have with advanced placement, high-stakes testing. To earn college credit in AP, you typically must pass the exam at the end of the year. But if students pass dual credit classes, usually with a C or higher, they get college credit. However, testing is still crucial to dual credit. Students often have to take an AccuPlacer entrance exam just to get enrolled. But Hageley says that's changing too. At College of DePage, they factor in multiple measures like GPA. Dual credit courses are also free at College of DePage and cost just a few dollars at other schools. The AP exams cost nearly $100 each to take, and many students take multiple tests. But in Illinois, low-income students only have to pay $7 per exam thanks to supplemental state funding. Jason Klein says they both can save students money, and it's not that one is good and one is bad. He's the Senior Director of Education Partnerships and Learning Solutions at Northern Illinois University. And he says there are a few big reasons why more schools offer AP than dual credit, but one stands out. The barrier to entry for teacher credentialing for AP is lower than the barrier to entry for teacher credentialing for dual credit. Since dual credit is through a college, high school teachers who teach those courses have to meet college-level credentials. They need a master's degree or a certain number of credit hours, just like college instructors. Klein says that hurdle can significantly limit the number of courses schools can offer, especially in smaller districts. If I'm the only history teacher and I'm not credentialed, well, then I'm not offering dual credit. But if we have 14 history teachers, two or three are credentialed, I can offer a bunch of dual credit classes. If a school has one teacher with a master's degree and they happen to teach biology, dual credit biology it is. Lisa Hageley refers to this as, quote, random acts of dual credit. It's common when teachers retire for schools to hire young, cheaper teachers who don't have a master's degree. Dual credit has started to change that at schools like Vienna High School in Southern Illinois. Superintendent Joshua Stafford says every year, a large percentage of students at Vienna walk across the podium at graduation with not only their high school diploma in hand, but also an associate degree, thanks to relationships with three different local community colleges. So when a Vienna High School science teacher retired, Stafford was shocked that the school board suddenly wanted another teacher with a master's degree. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> 24 months ago, you were telling me we couldn't hire people with master's degrees because they were too expensive. 24 months later, you're telling me that is the only option. He says students graduating with an associate degree is amazing, but Stafford says there's an even bigger dual credit story at Vienna that doesn't get nearly as much attention. He says it's also significantly reduced the number of Vienna graduates who've had to take non-credit remedial classes because they're not ready for college-level coursework. And he says getting them properly prepared is just another way students can save thousands of dollars through dual credit. All right, now it's time for our Catholic school conversation with Aquin High School's Tia Heimerdinger and Dana Gerard Lehmeyer. We start off with Tia talking a bit about the appeal of parochial schools. Enjoy. I feel like a lot of Catholic school parochial schools are built on traditions and um, very united and like a family front. So I feel like it gives that sense of community togetherness um, that keeps people here a longer amount of time than maybe somewhere else. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting too, like I came in, so this is my third year here. So I actually started teaching in the fall of 2020. Brilliant time to start. Yeah, fall of 2020. Um, so they, I wasn't here for the initial like mm. shutdown. I was doing a different job in education at the time. 
Um, but I was in a different job. And so I came in in the part where we're like trying to put everything back together after everything fell apart. Um, whereas Tia was here while things yeah, Tia, fell apart. Tia got as to well. put the plane back together while it was in the air. <laughs> yes, exactly. Attempted yeah. To it way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I definitely think with private schools, there was a big difference between how the private versus the public schools kind of dealt with COVID and dealt with and the continued. shutdowns and online learning. I would say because we're a private school, we don't necessarily have to follow ISBE, the Mm -hmm. Illinois State Board of Education, Mm -hmm. as closely. Um, We tend to on most issues Mm -hmm. just to kind of cover our rear ends. Um, Well, things like curriculum and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, things like um, when COVID happened, we, you know, ISBE said you can only teach so many minutes and so many subjects um, and everything needs to be for their grade, but it can't hurt their grade. It can only help their grade. Right. There was a hold harmless, right? Yeah, that was, I think yes, that's the term it for it. Yes, it needed yeah. to be like, um, it couldn't be new content. It could only be review content. Whereas here at Aquin, we actually continued teaching curriculum. In the spring. So we, yes. So March of 2020, um, we kind of were like, oh, we're out for a week. We'll kind of wrap <laughs> up some of the stuff we're doing with the kids. And then we're like, oh, um, but we, we did, we had kind of a schedule where we scheduled different times at the high school level, um, with our classes and we kind of just jumped in and kept teaching. I mean, we were giving our chapter tests via online. We were giving, we just continued. And I think that really kept our students pushed and motivated to, to keep doing what they do. You feel like it paid um, off as best as they could. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, there was definitely grace that was given, but... Yes. Um, There's got to be yeah. at a Catholic school, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the big term around here, to give them grace. Listen, my, so. my brother's a pastor, so I, I'm all about it. <laughs> but yes, I think it paid off in the end. Um, my son is in third grade here, um, so he was in kindergarten when this all happened. And Oh, my God. Um, just having no friends with other... Yeah, having friends with other little ones... Um, I really feel like it benefited us to keep going mm-hmm. and seeing their teachers and um, to stay on that path, I think, mm-hmm. was the route to go. Interesting. Yeah. Did you both go to Catholic schools or parochial schools going up? I didn't go to a Catholic school. So from kindergarten through eighth grade, I was in a Protestant school um, here in Freeport. Um, so just in a Christian school. And then I went to the public high school here in Freeport. Um, and then I went to public university. I went to state universities. Um, and then I f- kind of fell into private school teaching mm. and then really kind of enjoy, like I love the, the challenge and all out weirdness that comes with teaching at private school. All out weirdness. Um, so That's I a headline. Kind of stuck with it. <laughs> and I, well, your dad was a pastor. Yeah. And my well. dad was a minister as well. So we've always, um, as a family, we've been pretty passionate about, um, just ideas of school choice. And I personally firmly believe that in any community, there should be an option um, for many different types of schools. So yeah, what about you? Did you growing up, did you go to a... Um, I did not, um, but I did go to a little bit of a different atmosphere. I went to Reedsburg Area High School in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I graduated with 250 students in my class, and it was a large high school of over a thousand students. So um, coming to such a small area in Northwest Illinois um, and teaching such small class sizes, I was like, um, what am I supposed to do with six kids in a class? Like, uh, I'm not quite <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> um, 
but I will say it has way more benefits than it does. Um, like drawbacks. Than it does. Yes. Yeah. For the most part. Um, but I love the faith-based teaching, like the ability, I teach Spanish. So um, a lot of almost all um, Spanish speaking countries are based on religion, their holidays and their traditions are all based mm -hmm. on Catholicism. Um, so the fact that I can just openly discuss the holidays and not have to worry about what I'm saying or doing, um, the fact that I can pray at the beginning of class, um, that, mm -hmm. you know, that we go to mass as an entire school together, like just those kinds of things to add into the, the education yeah. is what I truly. Well, and the, the morals as well, because not all, in fact, I would say at this point, almost a majority of our students are not Catholic. Um, and don't necessarily even come from Catholic families or traditionally Catholic families. Um, but the what we have found is that the morals of so many different faiths are the same, and we're able to use that in discipline and in you know instructing the kids at the school. I mean, we have Catholics, Protestants. We even have a Muslim family that comes to school here. Um, and what we have found is that the the morals, like ideas of hard work, ideas of respect. Um, we're able to use those as kind of, a, you know, this is what we teach, this is what your family teaches, um, and we're able to kind of use faith as a reminder of how students should be and how, what they should be doing and how to care for the community and having empathy for others is a really big part of what we teach, and that comes out of that faith-based standard. Yeah, that's it's interesting that not that I mean, like you say, like half of the kids that go there don't come from Catholic families, or you know, give or take. Yeah, I'd say roughly, roughly that. Give or take. So, that's interesting because again, like yeah. I think a lot of people would be curious that that haven't gone to a Catholic school or aren't familiar with it, like mm -hmm. how that actually fits into the school day, you know, like how much of it is just, you know, you're you're in a Spanish class and some of those, you know, themes are are woven in too, but, you know, just like mm -hmm. I assume there's, you know, there's mass that, that people go to or, you know, some kind of services like that. But I'd be, yeah, I mean, yeah. just like how that is different generally, just, you know, a school day, how different that looks than like at a public school. Yeah. Well, I mean, we start every day with prayer. So in each classroom, we have a prayer that we all say, um, and then we end the day with prayer. And then at lunch, I'm never in the lunchroom. I avoid it. But <laughs> at lunch, I think they, they pray they before pray. lunch. Um, and that's really like, that's, I think, the only like unusual thing right. other than, like I said, when we're having our one-on-one -on -one conversations as well, um, there's a lot more freedom as a teacher. If a student comes to me and they're struggling with something, I can say something like, well, I'm going to pray for you or... Um, you know, I can talk to them about their faith and ask them about their faith and share a little bit of mine as well. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, like as far as our curriculum and our teaching, there's not much of a difference. We're still, like we said, we follow the ISVE um, guidelines and we follow pretty much all the state guidelines within our curriculum. So they're being taught the same things. Oh, yeah. They just have that added benefit of... Um, you know, having those faith morals behind it as well. They are required to take a religion class. So oh, yeah. uh, K through 12, they're taught religion within their classroom by their classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the high school level, they do, they're required to take um, a religion class every year. Um, yeah. And then we go to mass weekly. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, we're a normal high school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> small. Yeah. <laughs> we have homecoming. We yeah. have, you know, we, we have homecoming, we have prom, we have 
Well, it's interesting. It, uh, it's funny too that you mentioned that like you, when you were in school, you had like 200 plus people and like that was a, a really big school. And then you look at, you know, in the suburbs and in some of the cities in here, like that is considered to be a small rural yeah. school. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I've tried telling my kids. Like I went to a small school and they're like, no, you didn't. Yeah. 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 I did. <laughs> how many people did you say? Like how many like people in a class generally do you both have? Um, I would say my biggest class, because I'm an elective, so yeah. mine varies, but um, my biggest class is 13. Yeah, my biggest class, I have, I'm English, so I have everybody, yeah. um, and my biggest class is 21. Right, yeah, ooh, interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating, too, like the, you know, you mentioned that you guys, you know, there's, at the beginning of, like, lunches and stuff like that, that you guys you know, do some kind of prayer through that. It's it's so fascinating too that especially since you guys have s- people from like such different faith backgrounds mm-hmm. that are all interested in that and like you know expressing your faith looks differently depending on you know what your background mm-hmm. is that's just so interesting to to all be kind of in one school that is you know has that, those kind of faith components mm-hmm. backed into it that's really interesting yeah well and it do- it kind of is a beautiful thing because again we do go back to like this idea of morals regardless of faith Mm -hmm. but it just happens to be that you know the morals that we teach are very much judeo-christian morals what we find is the more people that we interact with we also have a lot of international students and we find like the morals are the same and these ideas of like how one should behave a lot of the morals are very much the same um morals regardless of faith or you know where you're from so it is it's actually quite a I guess, tapestry of people. Like it's a very diverse group that we have here. Yeah. Um, which I don't think a lot of people expect from a Catholic school. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so either. And that's a question that we always ask or that I was going to ask later on in the conversation was like, what you feel like are some big misconceptions that people have about Catholic schools. That might be a big one. Yeah, definitely. Hey, another misconception is that our students are all wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're not. Yeah. No. I mean, we do have, you know, some students who's, Parents are doctors or mm-hmm. um, lawyers or judges or um, whatever, but I would say for the most part, we're all economic, different economic mm-hmm. statuses, and um, we have scholarships that we give yeah. and things like that for certain students. So um, for everybody to always think that it's always the rich kids that go to the private school, it's not so much the case. Mm-hmm. So. You mentioned a couple of things about how like some of the things that like are the big appeal for a school like yours is the, like the kind of tradition and things that go into that. And I believe, Dana, that you used the phrase, and I'm going to quote you here, all out weirdness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, yes. I, I'm interested, like what you guys feel like are some of those big kind of uh, traditions, things that are specific to the school that like are oh, things oh, that I... you either like or that stand oh, out to you. Please, I'm interested. I, I have and one written. Sometimes I... We will tell you that it does sometimes bring up controversy. Yes. Um, that some people don't always see it from yeah. the light so, in the so meeting. Just I was Googling around, and so I'm hoping that, I, and I found one, so I'm hoping that we're on the same page here. I think <laughs> okay. I know where you're going with so this. So is it prom draw is what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So, That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated so, by this. Talk yeah, me so through it. This past Friday, last Friday, was actually our 97th annual prom draw. Man, the 100 is going to be a banger. That's going to oh, be a good it, it one. Oh, it better be. It better be. So every year, and I will say also every year, so our junior class are the ones that are in charge of prom. Um, and every year I get the juniors together and I say, do you want to do prom draw? So it is 
by vote. So we don't force them to do this. Um, but our boys are taken into a separate room and all of the girls' names are put in envelopes in this giant bingo roller. Um, and then the guys go up one by one and they draw a girl's name and whoever they draw is going to be their prom date. Um, and so then once they have drawn the names and they know who their prom dates are, this just keeps getting weirder the more I am that so I into it. it. I, I, no, so after they, after they draw the girls' names, they go into the gym and all of the girls are sitting there with bags on their heads. <laughs> no, hang on. When you say bags on their heads, you mean like so brown, they can't brown see, they can't, paper, paper bag. bag. Like I'm ashamed, brown bag over my face. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they decorate <laughs> them. They decorate. Actually, they spend a lot better. of time. <laughs> they spend a lot of time decorating them. They do a theme. Um, so half of the girls did Mario Brothers, and the other half did Fruit for their theme for decorating their bags. Those are <laughs> such different themes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Why do you? And the, okay. the boys then go in, and it just, I'm sorry, it just gets weirder. So then the boys go in, and the boys perform skits, and they're skits that they write and they come up with. And, and at this point, the, the girls can can see. That we got some, uh, or do they have the so bags they can see, over their They heads can watch still? the skit, but they still have bags over their heads. So that's that's Friday. So how can, how can they see the skits? The boys, they, they, the boys say, all right, take off your bags. Um, And then the boys perform their skit and the bags go back on the girl's heads. And when it's a boy's turn, he goes up to the girl and takes off her bag and says, will you go to prom with me? Um, And the the girl says, yes. Um, We've never had a girl say no, I don't think. I'm Grace Wee, but I don't think she... Oh, we did have an international student who didn't understand what was happening who said no. That has to um, be very confusing if you do not know what is happening in that situation. Um, And then this year, so like I said, this is... As soon as you get to the... First you put the bag on their head, that's when you start to ask the questions. Yeah, um... And so this year we had such a different ratio of girls to boys um, that we actually had 10 boys who were taking two girls to prom. So, (laughs) yeah. And when they go to prom, though, we are all one group. Yeah, we don't do. So most high schools, like, you know, you get your group of friends together and you guys go out to eat and then you go to the prom. We actually go as an entire school, like our everyone that's going to prom. Um, and the teachers, we all go out and we have a banquet and then we come back to the school and they have, um, their grand march and their dance. And so this, this just happened though, like on Friday, you guys yeah, had just happened on Friday prom draw. What were, what were some of the skits this year? I have to ask. There were only two, there, there were only yeah. so few boys going. The, the first one was a wrestling skit. So the boys pretended to be wrestling over one of the other boys sisters um, and then the second skit, one of our students dressed up as a priest and was teaching the boys how to ask out a girl. Oh, I hope the advice was at least sound. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> and I think it's important to also know, and this is where some people like kind of lose sight of prom draw. Mm-hmm. Back when Aquin started, there was an orphanage across the street from Aquin. Um, and the students wanted to include those orphans in their prom, in their dance. Uh, so in order to do so and make it fair, they started a draw so that everyone's names were in the, in the, the ones that were students and not students mm-hmm. so that they could all attend prom yeah. together with 
including everyone. Mm -hmm. So almost a hundred years ago in like the 1920s. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing we do with prom that's different is um, we do dance cards. So the girls, Mm. this is another like old tradition. Um, So the girls are given a dance card that has five slots open Mm -hmm. and they write down a boy's name and the DJ knows, like, luckily we have a DJ who's done this a few times now. And he says, okay, it's time for your dance card dance. And they have to go dance with whoever's on their card during the dance. It's like a randomized card. Yeah. So they'll dance with their date mm-hmm. for the first and last dance. And then the middle dances are randomized. And yeah. then they dance. And so everybody's dancing together and nobody's left yeah. out. And yes. Yeah. It's, it's fun. fun. It is fun. <laughs> I feel like next year you have to email me right before it happens so I, c- I can be on the scene to take yeah. in the spectacle, <laughs> you know? We will. We can do that. <laughs> and that it w- seems weird, like, to everyone else. I mean, I, as I was a new teacher coming in here, you were like, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, I grew up in Freeport, um, but I went to the public school. I didn't come to Aquin. And so I always, and I was, like, in dance class with girls who went to Aquin. Yeah. Um, and they would talk about prom draw, and I always thought it was the weirdest thing. And then when I started teaching here, they said, you want to be in charge of prom? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> would you say that's that's the, 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 the biggest extent of, like, the all-out weirdness? Is that, the, is that pretty much it? Um, I'd say that's about the strangest thing that yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, like, parents who now have students here, yeah. they – they relive their their mm-hmm. prom draw memories over and over and yeah. over again. Well, and I was grandparents say too, because I mean we've got third generation families here, so even grandparents can remember their prom draws. So yeah, there have to be some kind of like some like legendary skits, yes. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there have been a few. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's fun. It's just weird and different. I guess the other thing we do yeah. um, is we almost have like two homecoming weeks. Yeah. So we have homecoming, and then in the spring we do a Catholic schools week, um, complete with dress-up days and everything like that. It's kind of like a second homecoming, only we focus it. Instead of a dance, we really try to focus it on service to the community. So we mm. do a massive food drive. How many items did we collect this year? Do you remember? Um, this year was just shy of 5,000 food items. Oh, wow. So yeah. that's, yeah, we focus that week on service to the community. That's a perfect segue because I was going to ask you about that because the the person that, that nominated both of you to be on the show mentioned like specifically about how you both kind of help lead a lot of those service groups and so mm-hmm. I was curious what the, what that looks like what what are those service groups? Yeah. Um, the service group that I lead is um, servant leadership. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a program through Highland Community College here in town, mm-hmm. and each of the local schools have a servant leadership team. And it, the motto is to learn through serving others. And so they have several projects, um, but our team is known for doing more than just the requirements because our students grow up serving um, mm-hmm. and being in the faith-based education, they, they're around this so much that they want to always do more than what is expected. Um, so um, we've done the food drive, we do hearts and hands for hunger. We're doing a mental health awareness walk, and we've done shirts. Um, there, they've done a hats, coats, and mittens drive. We've done so much. And Everything. Every time I turn around, she's working on a new service project. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I I jumped in a because my husband was part of that group um, when he was in high school at Pearl City, uh, so we kind of jumped in. But it's always been 
my passion mm-hmm. is to serve. I am what Mrs. Lehmeyer would call me a people pleaser. Um, <laughs> I like to do for others what mm-hmm. I can. And it's just a way to kind of share that that service heart with my students and kind of light that fire um, for them to help the community and do those kind of things. And when we go in, like we just delivered all 5,000 food items to the Salvation Army, Freeport Area Church Cooperative, and then a church in Pearl City does a backpack program for students who don't have food on the weekends. Um, And to watch my students actually be able to deliver the food and see the people who are there helping us who are homeless unload our truck. And to see at the at the Salvation Army, the food pantry that is open and how they sort it and all of that kind of stuff. And then to be the ones to pack the backpacks, that hands-on part of the service is just the eye-opening experience for them that I love to just stand back and watch for them to see the impact that they're truly making. That is what keeps me doing what I do. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you do Interact. Yeah, and then the club <laughs> that I do is called Interact. And it was originally, it's a part of Rotary International, but we've mm-hmm. kind of, we still work with them, but we've also sort of do our own thing as well. Um, and our purpose, so, so Rotary's goal is really international, but with Aquin, we kind of tend to focus more locally. Um, and we do different things throughout the year, kind of as needs arise. Um, so last year there was, uh, someone at the Rotary Club here in Freeport said, Hey, we would like to do a homecoming party or a housewarming party for this group of, um, of refugees that are coming from Afghanistan. And so we collected everything that you would need to move into an apartment. So bedding, towels, toiletries, kitchenware, Um, And we collected all of that and we didn't get to go see them because of the nature of the organization. It's anonymous. Um, But we just collected everything and it got kids thinking. I said, you know, imagine moving to a new country. You don't speak the language. You don't have anything. And just receiving this stuff and how amazing that must be. Um, We also did a drive last year for the domestic violence shelter here in town. Um, And I went to them and I said, so what do you guys need? And they gave us this list of items, which with any nonprofit, the list of their needs is massive. Um, (laughs) And they gave it to us and they said, you know, just whatever you can do, it's it's fine. Um, And we wound up providing them with enough stuff to last a minimum of a year. Um, And it was things, so every single day was something different. Um, And what I loved about that was it got some of the students thinking about what it means. So the nature of the place that we were um, collecting for uh, women and children specifically, when they have to escape a domestic violence situation, this organization comes in, provides them with housing and legal services and does everything they can to help them. And so we collected feminine products, which some of the girls were like, why do we have to get these for other women? Like they can't, they just go get them. And I said, no, for one, like they don't feel safe going out in public to buy them themselves but also this isn't something that they just have on hand. Um, So if they've escaped their home, that tends to be one of the last things you would think about grabbing if you're trying to leave in a hurry. And so we got to have that conversation and it puts them in that place of realizing that, um, you know, people don't have the same advantages of them and that there are needs that have to be met that they don't think of meeting. Um, The toys, that one was heartbreaking because we, collected a bunch of toys and they said, well, I thought this was for a domestic violence shelter. And I said, it is, but there's children involved in that too. And that opened up conversations about 
um, what happens to children in these situations and what is it like to be a child in a domestic violence situation being torn from everything you know and put into a shelter and you know what would be a comfort item and that's what they talked about was what would kids want and they said well something comforting and so we got lots of soft kind of plushy items for that um and so i just love opening up these conversations and what i love about interact is that we do things as they arise and so we hear about a need and we say okay guys what can we do for this need um we even made toys we made dog toys for the local animal shelter like yeah. um just coming up with things and letting the students as well they hear about a need and they come to me and say hey you know someone this family in the area just lost a couple of people what can we do right let's raise money for them and see i think that's what i just actually jotted some notes down as things were going through mm -hmm. my head yeah. um but the student driven part is what truly warms my heart mm -hmm. is that we're here to just facilitate and hopefully light the fire but the fact that students are like we did candy grams yeah. and we had our librarian who had um some health issues she had a stroke and um when they were discussing candy grams the x amount of years prior to we always gave the funds to um a different gentleman but one of the students mm -hmm. mentioned hey can we change that this year and give that to um our librarian and it's like just to see their wheels turning mm -hmm. and to see that they can make a difference in so many different yeah. ways and they drive that i mean this mental health project they're like oh yeah let's do mental health this year i'm like okay what are we going to do they're like well we're going to do shirts we're going to give all the students glow sticks with personal notes to tell them how much they mean let's even do a glow walk for the community i'm like yeah whoa 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 yeah. let's settle down here but no i'm like okay these are great ideas let's make it happen um and so for them to really take the reins and let us just sit back and kind of be the facilitators of that mm -hmm. that's what is truly awesome about it all yeah no, I was just going to say, it's got to be really grounding, you know, for for you, but especially for the students, too, and especially in a in a faith based school. Right. Where like mm -hmm. we can we can talk about faith and the history of religion all day long. And that's great. But like actually being active and, mm -hmm. and serving your community like services, mm -hmm. you know, as someone that grew up in the church and brother as a pastor. Right. Like that's service is such like a foundation that for, mm -hmm. give them the opportunity and for them to like take the reins for themselves and and kind of see themselves in their community has got to be really grounding for a lot of the kids in those groups. Well, and I think the way that we touch so many different areas of the community, you know, like servant yeah. leaders even branched out this year and helped that church in Pearl City versus just the yeah. court community. Yeah. Um, you know, we even work with the public school for servant leaders at Christmas time. Um, we contact Jones Farrar, the baccalaureate school. It's a public school um, with FSD. And we ask them for students who may not be getting Christmas presents and what their Christmas list would be. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have Amazon wish lists that people just buy from and send them our way. And then our servant leaders spend one whole day after school wrapping Christmas presents. And then we actually got to deliver to families this year um, the Christmas gifts and just that connection, you know, yes, we're private, but it doesn't mean we can't help a public mm -hmm. school. It doesn't mean we can't help a food pantry. It doesn't mean we can't help a different denomination church out. It doesn't mean that, you know, yeah, our efforts aren't limited. Limited. Right. We, we can do anything. We even had kids. We even had kids this year bake sugar cookies for first responders at Christmas mm. time. Like we went, 
we met, we baked a whole bunch of cookies and then we drove around Freeport delivering them to the local fire departments, like mm. <laughs> just whatever they come up with. And it is never localized just to Aquin. It's the whole community. See, and you got that, and then on the other side of the emotional spectrum, you got the the prom stuff. <laughs> you get yeah, the, the skits, exactly. right? Yeah. You're feeling all sorts of different emotions here, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just do it all. We do. We do. <laughs> you know, I, I want to dig into a little bit for, for both of you, a little bit of your kind of teacher origin story. I'm always curious if teaching is something that has always been in the back of your mind, always been something that you wanted to do since you were a kid, or if it's something that came to you later in life. Uh, Dana, do you want to, do you want to start off? I definitely did not. I was not the kid who always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I wanted to like, like a typical nineties kid. Uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist and like go work at SeaWorld and swim with whales. I'd say nineties kid. It was either going to be that or skateboarding, right? Like either way. (laughs) No, No, I wanted to be um, in the ocean with the whales. And then I saw blackfish and was like, no, uh, <laughs> but no, I definitely was not that. And I went to college. Um, obviously I went to college and then I went to grad school intending to work in uh, museum work. I wanted to do like museum curating and things like that. Um, and I graduated the year that all of the Illinois state museums had to close down for budget cuts. Uh, which was not a great time to want to go into museum work. No, I can't. And so I, can't I kind of floundered for a little bit. I was also just re- I married and got my grad degree literally within a week of each other. I got married and I walked in graduation. Yeah, um, I'm sure that wasn't hectic at all. I'm sure. Yeah, not at all. It was two weeks before Christmas too. Oh, uh, so, so I found a job with a Christian school in Rockford, Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at Christian Life, and I loved it. And while working there, I was thinking of, you know, going towards and getting my actual uh, teaching certificate, um, which to work in a private school, you don't necessarily have to have if you have the education component. Um, And I just kept working at the Christian school and I loved it. Um, And then the commute from Freeport to Rockford just got to be too much. And then this opening at Aquin happened and I figured I could work in a private school and I can get back to teaching, which I discovered I loved, and I don't have to drive two hours every day. Um, so that's, I really just fell into it, but then in falling into it, I really fell in love with it. You'll it's, find that, that Dana and I are maybe teacher besties, but we're complete opposites. We are. <laughs> I'm very type A, she's very type B. Actually yes. today, the, the some students comparison yeah. was used that um, I'm Glinda and she's Alphaba. Like from um, Wicked. From Wicked. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we are very polar opposites, but we love each other because of yeah. it. Um, and mine was very traditional. Mm-hmm. I actually said since the time I was in kindergarten, I was going to be a teacher. Oh, man. Uh, did you Spanish have like, com- did you have the stuffed animals like set out in a classroom yeah, that you were teaching to? Yeah, my Barbies too? always played school. I made my <laughs> brothers play school. Everybody played school. I You're- helped my mom grade papers growing up. My mom was a teacher for 30 plus years. Um, so there I, you go. Mm-hmm. I was around education. Mm-hmm. Um, I, she was a cheerleading coach. So I was always on the road with the cheerleading team, all of those kind of things. But, you know, I helped my mom grade papers and do all of that. The <laughs> Spanish component didn't come in until high school um, when I started to really fall in love with Spanish. And then I studied abroad while I was in Spain and I was or while I was in college in Spain. And it was just amazing. Um, and it just hit that right on the head and I actually have a Wisconsin teaching license because I'm from Wisconsin, but my husband 
brought me here. So um, <laughs> here I am in a private school in Northwest Illinois. <laughs> what what made you fall in love with Spanish? Um, I don't know. I've always been, um, I was always good at English class. So I always took advanced writing classes and those kind of things. But just to be able to learn the rules and the systemic part of Spanish, it just... I love it. I whenever I teach conjugating present tense verbs, Spanish one, I'm like, all right, just just go ahead. Nerd alert. Here it is. I love to conjugate <laughs> verbs. So let's get started. Um, but it's just I do love it. And it's not everybody's favorite class. And most of the time it's very few's favorite class. But just trying to be that teacher that provides the atmosphere that they love versus the class content that they love. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in past tense conjugation now, which is even more okay. complicated. We got the emos versus amos for some yeah, of those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not fun. It's, it's getting confusing <laughs> out there now. We're working through it, though. <laughs> I'm interested, you know, this show is based on the idea that everyone has had, pretty much everyone, I think it's safe to say, has had an educator that either help them become the person that they are today or really inspire them. I'm curious for both of you, is there one or a few educators mm -hmm. that stand out to you? Yeah, there's, so I have three. Brilliant. <laughs> um, I have, so two at the high school level um, here in Freeport at Freeport Public High School where I went to school. Tim Connors um, was the speech coach. I was on the speech team. So talk about nerd alert. I was captain of the speech team. <laughs> hey, we just had a forensics coach on the yeah. show a couple weeks ago. So listen, we are right there nerding with you. <laughs> yes. So um, so Tim Connors, he's the speech and drama teacher at Freeport High School. And he kind of, I was a very sheltered, terrified freshman coming from a tiny private Christian high school to Freeport Public High School. Um, and he kind of, just worked with me and helped me get through some of my fears of people and fears of being in front of people. Um, he helped me to find my passion um, in speaking and just like he created such an environment in his classroom that made you feel comfortable and safe and where I could be myself and be interested in the nerdy little things that I was interested in. Um, and it was amazing. And then also at Freeport, um, there's a history teacher, Kelly Everding. Her husband also teaches there as well. And Mr. Connor's wife actually works at Freeport too. Uh, but Kelly Everding was a history teacher and she was in a, the first female teacher I had that was the like strong feminist, like taught just amazing things that I never even heard of before. Um, and she was such a great example of like a truly strong female leader. Um, and I was like, I want to be just like her. And then in college, I had a professor named Stacey Elder um, who taught women and gender and German history, um, which was an interesting mix. But yeah. she as well just kind of she created this environment where I felt safe, um, where we could talk about things that maybe you didn't want to talk about in other classes. Um, and she also was constantly pushing me to do better. So I would turn in a paper and she'd turn it right back to me and say, no, do better. Um, and that was just inspirational to me because this idea, you know, I was one of those smart kids that when I got to a certain level, I was with all the other smart kids and she challenged me. Um, 
and that meant a lot just to be challenged and to have that leadership. So, you know, I, Im- I imagine yeah. that like since teaching wasn't something that you always wanted to do, that by the mm-hmm. time that you started working in education, you probably took a second look back at all those teachers that you love to try to like, how can I, oh, yeah, how can definitely. I grab that? How can I create an atmosphere like they did, you know? Yeah. And I had a lot of conversations with them, um, especially with Tim Connors at Freeport um, and Kelly. I had conversations with them about yeah. you know, what, what do I do? My first classroom, <laughs> I actually put out a general Facebook post and I said, I have an empty classroom. What do I do with it? And she uh, messaged me back and I went to her house and got all of her old classroom posters uh, that she wasn't using anymore. And she just helped me like, this is how you set up a classroom because I had no idea. (laughs) I would say, once again, this is how different we are. Mine are based more, I feel like, on emotion um, because when I was young in kindergarten, I found out I have petty mal epilepsy. that my gym teacher actually recognized. Um, so I did struggle quite a bit, um, kind of trying to explain to my classmates what it was, what was happening. Um, but I had a teacher named Mrs. DeVries, um, who after I went and had all of my testing done and my EEG, you know, my doctor gave me a book and Mrs. DeVries sat me down and let me read the book to my class and really discussed with the kids what it was um, how to not be afraid, how to help, all of those kind of things. And that is what I feel like I try to embody is that I want to allow my kids in this classroom to always feel as though we can talk and explain and accept one another um, no matter what. And so that's where my basis from elementary came. Um, and then actually based on epilepsy would be a high school teacher, um, Mrs. Winters, who was my speech and English teacher. Um, and I was terrified to take speech cause I was afraid I would have a spell in the middle of my speech and be embarrassed um, and so on. But she allowed me to just stand up there and not care if I did have a spell while I was um, giving my speeches. And she knew that it wasn't something I liked, but when I took my advanced writing classes and things with her, she really let me shine that way. Um, yeah versus in other ways. So I would say those two truly had that emotional um, touch on me. Of course, my mom being a teacher, she will always be yeah, you know, one say. of my, my <laughs> idols as well. Um, she taught high school as well. So um, I have all of those in my life, but um, those two were fairly special to me. I'm sure you still talk with your mom a lot about education comparing, uh, you know, about teaching high school. Yeah, we do for the most part. She's just yeah. kind of an ear to always listen. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, we compare a lot of public versus private aspects right. of teaching as well. Um, so well, that's she's understanding kind of during, was it homecoming week? She sent you flowers. Yes. Just because she recognized oh. that's a stressful time for teachers. Yes. So. so it's always that, you know, that someone who's always behind you because they understand and totally get what you're going through. So. I was curious, again, teaching at a faith-based school, if you feel like, you know, being a teacher at Aquin has, do you feel like it's changed how you think about your faith or have you think about faith in general? Like, I'm curious how, how you feel like it's being in this atmosphere has impacted that side of your life. I feel like it's really brought it even more to light for me. Um, I've always grown up in the church. We're Lutheran. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, I'm confirmed. I've had we my call first that Catholic life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I actually last year had an interview at a public school and they offered me the job at the interview. Um, but I asked for a few um, days to think about it just because that faith-based component is what I just could not let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that I have children in the school system. Uh, I really find, you know, the fact that my child can go to class and give a prayer intention that his class can pray about for him. Um, that openness, that weekly community of being together at church with his peers versus being at our tiny church with maybe elderly people and not as many, you know, young um, kids. It's that component of it. I just could not let go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I'm Protestant. Um, and so coming to a Catholic school, I working in a Protestant school was one thing, but it almost felt too easy um, because it was too light. <laughs> it was too, it was just kind of like, it was like, well, this is what I've always grown up in. And then moving into a Catholic school, I really didn't know that much about Catholicism. Um, but moving into a Catholic school, I was really nervous about how I would fit in. I didn't know any of the tenants. I had to have someone explain to me, like, you're not supposed to go up and take communion if you're not Catholic. Um, so Listen, in, in the Lutheran church, yeah, we're just, yeah, we're but, tossing it out in the crowd, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we, you know, I had to learn some of that stuff, but it's really, it helped me examine. And so there's been times where, cause I actually really enjoy mass. Um, and so there's been times where I'm like, you know, should we, should as a family, should we be looking into Catholicism? And so it has challenged me to kind of examine my choice of faith. Um, but then also, so uh, almost two years ago now, my dad was killed in a motorcycle accident. Oh, um, and That's awful. I'm so sorry. I think, yeah. And I, so I found out at school, um, oh my the police, he was the chaplain for the Freeport Police Department. You can't start crying. <laughs> if I'm not crying, you can't. It's an um, audio program, so, though, so, you know. Yeah. So, he, um, so I found out at school here, and one of the reasons why I've stayed um, is because when I found out, the police came to the school, and within minutes, I had people surrounding me, praying for me in, like, what was literally the worst moment of my life. Um, they even, you know, they called the priest and had the priest praying for me. Even though I wasn't Catholic, it didn't matter. Um, And so for me, that was such a profound moment, you know, not just in my life, it's completely life altering, but just being surrounded by that and the recognition that even though we're not of the same branch of Christianity, um, it really helped deepen my faith, um, just knowing that there were people praying for me and I was getting constant texts and phone calls from not just teachers, but even the parents of students and grandparents of students or were sending, cards in the mail. yeah, we're sending cards and sending support and letting us know that they were praying for our family. And that was just so profound to me and really helped kind of deepen my faith because I saw the benefit of this faith community. Um, so I'm not converting to Catholicism, but it definitely, <laughs> but it was growth definitely, mindset, yes, yes, yeah, but it was definitely, it was a moment where I really, like, my faith was challenged a lot because, you know, my dad was a minister. He was the chaplain of the police department. Like, this is the most faithful man I'd ever met. And for him to be taken so suddenly, that's a crisis of faith. Um, and it was a lot of the people at Aquin that helped me through that. Um, which I wouldn't see at a public school. So that was incredible for me. And I think that 
embodies truly what our community is all about. I mean, you don't like to say that we come together when the bad things happen, but when you need community, mm -hmm. the Aquin community is there. They show yeah. up, you know, blazing, ready to help in any mm -hmm. way possible. Um, we actually lost one of our um, juniors, lost her father um, a year, year ago. Yeah. Um, he was a basketball coach, collapsed in the middle of a basketball game. Um, so, so many families in the stands, so many, I mean, the basketball players themselves. Um, mm -hmm. But the way this community rallied is just around her and around her family and around the whole basketball team. Um, it, it was, again, it was one of those moments we've, Actually, we've had a rough few years now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a heavy but, few know, years. Crises, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here and kind of can laugh and smile about it, but in all of those crises, um, we did come together as a faith community, and um, we were there for each other. I mean, the day after, um, after the basketball coach passed, we came together and had a mass for him the very next day. Um, we put something together quickly. Um, I say we, I didn't have much to do with it, but the school did. Um, and they were just there. And that just comes so naturally to us as a community. And that's really that faith component. What's something about education in general that you think is more important than people might realize? Something you wish more people knew about education who don't work in this and think about this every day? My light bulb just goes <laughs> off immediately. <laughs> like I, I am the emotional teacher yes. here. Um, <laughs> But the social emotional learning aspect of the classroom is so needed right now, especially after going through COVID. Um, the students, I don't feel, know how to manage their feelings. Their feelings are bigger, maybe, I want to say. They're larger than what they might have been before because they went so long maybe without feelings. Um, it just is so hard for them to go through and figure all of this out, um, that that social emotional learning component of a classroom takes precedent over any content. Um, I teach Spanish, but I will stop as soon as I can tell that there is something not quite right in my classroom. The vibes are off. Yes. <laughs> High school drama, you can sometimes feel it <laughs> in the classroom. And, you know, you just have to take that step back once in a while and jump into social emotional learning, even when you are the Spanish teacher, even when you are the English teacher, because those moments are extremely crucial to these students and their development and all of those kind of things. So going into education is not just now being a teacher. It's, you know, everybody says, you know, we, we're nurses, we're all of this, but we are now, I feel like counselors as well. I mean, I will take no credit away from a school counselor or anybody of that nature, but we're on the front lines with these kids. We're on the front lines with their feelings, with their safety, um, with all of those kind of things. And that's our job. And to see when they're not, when they're struggling, to see when they're feeling differently, to see all of that kind of stuff and help them through that, we've got to be there. And it's hard. It's very difficult. Um, I mean, just a year or so ago, I had a student come to me during a prep period and say she, you know, tried to suffocate herself the night before. And what do you do in that moment? You know, mm -hmm. it's all of those kind of things that people need to realize. It's not about the math anymore. It's not about the history. It's not about the English. It is, but there are other things that are 
front running for that. Yeah. Right. But the I math agree. doesn't matter as much if you don't have that baseline of, you know, mental right. health yeah. support, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I would definitely agree. I mean, we have to do so much like mental health first aid. Um, and that's really all that. I mean, teachers, I think both private and public, we do not have enough training on that. And so all we can really do is apply a band aid and try to get them the services that they need. Um, but when you live in a rural community, mental health services are very hard to come by. Um, so it's a very much a systemic problem. Um, but definitely like we have to do the mental health, but we're also responsible for so much more than the Classroom. education. Like mm -hmm. we are having to teach basic respect and basic manners and um, as well as the, the counselor, the helper and all of that. There's just so many things that we have to do. And now, um, right now, I think the biggest thing we're having to do is just work with development. I keep saying it, it seems like our students kind of got stuck in whatever grade they were in when COVID happened. So our ninth graders are acting like sixth and seventh graders. And it, they're just like, they got stuck developmentally there. And so that kind of goes with the mental health is we're trying to get them to mature and rise above while at the same time trying to get them to you know, move forward and do better um, academically at the same time we're trying to get them emotionally matured as well, if that makes sense. That was kind of clunky, but um, yeah. Awesome. Well, I, th you might have I think you both might have answered the second part of the question, too, because I was just going to pose it more specifically from something about education to something about being a teacher that you wish more people knew about. I think you might have got to it both, both through that answer, though. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, it, it might be cliche, but yeah. and I'm not saying that a teacher does more than any other profession, but I think what people don't realize, especially now that we are moms ourselves, you know, yeah. she has a 16 month old. I have an eight and a five year old um, at home that it is it's very hard because we are here trying to make sure we're managing every student in our room, making sure they're OK, making sure we're teaching what we need to teach, making sure we're ready for whatever meeting happens. This out. Like we have hundreds of things going through our brain at one time and so many responsibilities that we are exhausted yes. <laughs> and you know like it's hard to have time then when you get home for your family because mm -hmm. you've kind of I don't want to say we put on a show but the days that we're struggling ourselves in our personal lives or whatever you know you have to show up you can't yeah. just stop being a teacher you know like you have to stand and perform in front of your classroom yeah. that my, day. My students don't care if my son was up at 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> and nor do their parents. Yeah, nor yeah. do their parents. But, so, yeah, it's just having to be a teacher and have a personal life, and there's not a lot of support for that at the private or the public school level. Um, and there's not a lot of support from parents of our students of that. They don't always recognize that, you know, we're moms too. And we have lives outside of their students as well. Um, and it, it is exhausting. And there are days that we don't want to perform. <laughs> yes, breaking news. Teachers have a lot on their plate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, people yeah. say that's what you signed up for. And we understand that. Mm -hmm. That is what we signed up for. And we wouldn't change it for the world. These students are our kids. I tell yeah. my students all the time, you're my kids away from home. I call them my big kids. Yes. 
So I have a little <laughs> kid at home. They're my big kids. They're they, a little bigger, they, yeah. They are yeah. our true family. They are our kids. Um, but we just, that grace that we're always being asked to mm-hmm. give, once in it. a while, we would like a little grace back. Yeah. <laughs> and just and that that other end of, of things, so... Let's get you that grace. We got yeah. got to be a church nearby to find it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that was that was all I had for. I, again, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you both so much for for taking the time to to chat about your experience and everything. It was it was wonderful. I hope you I hope you enjoyed the experience. It was yeah. Fun. Thank you. It was, it was kind fun. of fun. Yeah. Good. I hope so. Listen, you teach speech, you should be fine. This is easy, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much to listening to Teachers Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get our great guests like Tia and Dana. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, please do consider subscribing or leaving us a rating, sharing with friends. It's the best way to get even more perspectives, even more awesome educators on this show. If you're into it, you can also subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage over at wnij.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear each and every episode of this show. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with a brand new episode of Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.